some really awesome work going on in Thailand and uh, all over the place that whether you know it or not, you've got influence in. What is it? Oh, hey, hey, Linda, how you doing? Well, praise God. Amen. The Lord answered your prayers before you knew to pray them. <laughs> That's how sovereign he is. Well, praise God. Praise God. We continue to pray that they would have that opening and that the Lord would make the language easy for them and that it would just all come natural or supernatural and that the Lord would do amazing work, continue to do amazing work through um, all of them and uh, their whole family. So praise God for that. And praise God for you who are willing to give to uh, these missionary journeys and, and these uh, who are ready and willing to go out. And believe it or not, what we did yesterday, in my understanding, was just a local mission project. It is just a way to just love on the community. So I'm thankful to be a part of a church who has that type of mentality and that type of vision that they would want to go out and to go out into the highways and the byways and the here's and the there's and do the work uh, that needs to be done. With all of that being said and us praising God for that, let's do some work in-house this morning. Let's get in God's Word and, and let's get some training this morning on how we can be more prepared and better equipped to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called, and that I believe that would prepare us to be able to do warfare, warfare outside of these doors, whether it be on a level that we are doing battle with our own flesh, whether it be that we are doing battle with our own tendencies to uh, sin or our own, our own temptations, or whether it's doing battle in, king, in the kingdom realm, winning people to Christ, combating the ideas of the evil one and the false narrative that's being promoted all around us every minute of every day. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm always looking for what God would have me to preach and to teach on Sunday mornings, and sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes, if we're, especially if we're going through a book of the Bible, which I really like to do, uh, it's easier because you already know what you're preaching the next week. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't throw you a curveball and change it up on you that Saturday night or that Sunday morning. Uh, but in times like these, we're in between a series, like book series. I'm just looking and praying throughout the week, you know, what, God, what would you have for me to preach and teach on? And it comes to me in various different ways. And I hope I'm always obedient to the Lord. I know I'm not, I'm not always obedient, but I try to be. And so this Wednesday night, uh, the prayer group, which is really my support group as far as on an individual basis, those men pray for me. We kick around ideas. We talk theology. We talk life. We were talking about this idea of addiction, and uh, we have lots of men in our, on our prayer group that are given to many different things, and we pray for the ladies too. We pray for the church. But what we notice is a trend that lots of people are wrapped up in things in this life that they just seem to be given to. They can't get away from it. It's got them on lock. They're slaves to it. We call that, uh, in our culture right now, we call that what? We call it addiction, okay? There's lots of ideas floating around about addiction. Uh, we've talked about this a good bit from time to time. We have um, CR here at the church, and uh, we try to really help people to overcome addiction. Uh, we are, a lot of you here are addicts. I'm an ex-addict myself, and so it kind of tends to lend itself to that. Um, you know, I've, I've got a history of being arrested. I was arrested nine times before I was 20 years old. You guys have heard lots of my testimony, and the Lord set me free from those things, and put a call on my life to preach and teach his word. And I knew that pretty, pretty rapidly after the Lord. Uh, it, wasn't a, a, uh, it wasn't a quick process. It was years and years of years of people ministering to me and Hambo and his family pouring out to me. And I was running this life. I was, an, I was a warrior for Satan. And I was, trying to, I was actively, intentionally trying to draw people in to the drugs and the alcohol and the violence and the fighting and that whole lifestyle. And when finally the Lord, I, I about put this post on Facebook the other day, but I didn't um, for whatever reason. I, Dakota, I like that what you put up. You said so many times I type up a whole post or a text or something. I'm like, you know, the Holy Spirit hits me. I'm like, backspace, you know, <laughs> hold it down. And, but not that it was a bad one, but I just didn't feel like it was the right time. But 
this was the sentiment that the Lord was just pressing on me, and I think it was part of this sermon, is that he said, you know, a lot of times I, I, I go after people and I present myself to people. Christ and Christianity, the Bible, is like a diamond. There's so many facets you can look through, different perspectives. And oftentimes we call that contrary truths, but, but oftentimes it's just complementary truths or complementary ideas about the same truth. Anyway, the Lord Jesus oftentimes pursues people, I think, in, with a loving, gentle hand, and he draws them with a lovingness and a gentleness. And, and that's, you know, we've adopted, I think, the evangelical realm has adopted that that's the only way that Christ ever pursues anyone. It wasn't that way for me. Obviously, that was part of it. But in my life, when I was running from the Lord, he was so gracious and so kind and so patient with me. But what ended up being that place where God rescued me from the darkness was I had really, and you can ask my wife, this has been my testimony from day one, I felt that the Lord had drawn a line in the sand and he says, if you don't, if you don't choose today whom you're going to serve, I'm going to kill you. I'm, I'm, I'm serious as I can possibly be. When I came to the Lord, it wasn't because, oh, look how much he loves me. It was, oh, no, he's going to kill me. And I think for some of you, that's what's needed. To come to the Lord in fear and trembling. That the Lord is done with your games, okay? But that's not what the message is on today. My point is, is that the Lord rescued me in a certain way. And he, he called me in a certain way. And he put this thing in me to long to see, especially young boys. And that may mean a 38, a 45-year-old idiot. Young boys who do not know what it's like to be men, to see them rescued from their addictions and their slavery and their immaturity and to become men of God. And I have, I have that call in my life. I have that desire to see that. And with that comes, I think, calling silly little girls to become women of God too. I believe that it comes by the same hand. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the nature of and the biblical perspective on addiction what are the realities surrounding addiction what is addiction and how do we how do we can we overcome addiction there's lots of ideas in the na programs and the aa programs that you can never overcome your addiction that you just if you're an alcoholic then you 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 understand that the disease is lifelong you you inherited it you can never overcome it and that that's just what you just have to learn to live with alcoholism i believe that's a lie straight from the pits of hell the bible says if the sun sets you free you're free indeed now, but I would question the, the idea, can we fully get rid of addiction, period? Let's, let's get into that a little bit. And you, might be, you might be questioning me there. You'd be like, Pastor, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not an addict. I'm a Christian. Maybe. Maybe not. Let's get into the scripture. And before we do, I want to pray one more time. I know we've prayed several times. But I want to pray because I really do believe with every fiber of my being that this could be a very, very helpful practical but enlightening message from God's word on the nature of addiction how we can overcome how we can become individuals who are free and individuals who are given to God's purposes and not the purposes of the world so let's pray and ask God to do that Lord Jesus I do pray that the message today would be crystal clear that it would be written on the heart of every hearer and on mine too God I pray Lord Jesus that your word would set us free that uh, it would be written on our hearts that we might not sin against you open up our eyes to understand the lies that come from the enemy the lies are are uh given to us and and are um they are they come at us and they attack us every single day that are wrong ideas that are false truths that are lies god that we have bought into and that we have uh given ourselves to that keeps us from being all that we could be in you so lord jesus open up our minds to receive your words right on our hearts that our hands might follow we pray it all in christ's name amen Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, this is a book of wisdom, and uh, Solomon is writing, and he's writing, uh, he was the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth, it was what he prayed for, God was glad to give it to him, and uh, we see in, in Ecclesiastes is a funny book to, to read, because some of it you read, and you be like, hold up, what? But if you think of Ecclesiastes as a book, uh, as wisdom literature, uh, basically truths that you can 
take at face value, apply to your life, and you say, oh, yeah, that's, that's generally true, kind of like a Proverbs. And so let's read and see what uh, Solomon would teach us in the book of Ecclesiastes about the truth surrounding humanity and about how God interacts with humanity, how God created humanity, and let's see if we can learn a few things about who we actually are. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the title of today's sermon, I'm going to, I've, I've entitled this uh, sermon, Managing Addiction. Okay, I'll go ahead and give you the premise of the sermon because it might be to this point, it might be like, hold on a second. What I'm the, the title of the sermon is is managing addiction. And here's the premise. I do not believe that you can get rid of addiction in your life. I believe that addiction is interwoven into the fiber fiber of our being. Okay, now some of you upon hearing that you should say, wait a minute. I'm not going to be given to alcoholism my entire life. I say amen. I did not say that addiction to sin and to unrighteousness was interwoven into your entire being. I just said addiction. You see, the problem is, is that, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to prove this from the text. The problem is, is that we fail to understand that we are all created 24 hours a day, seven days a week, worshipers. Worship is just being addicted to the right thing. You see, here's the problem. We're all trying to do away with addiction, period. When the issue is not being addicted, the issue is being addicted to that which will bring death and not life. You were created for worship. You were created to be a slave. Now, I know that sounds negative. But the Bible says, and we'll get into this, Romans chapter 6, that you're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. You are, you are either addicted to God or you're addicted to the world. That's just the way it is. And, you know, and this is kind of an introduction, a little premise here. But I am going to suggest this morning that the only way that you can overcome addiction to sin, addiction to flesh, addiction to the world is to replace it with an addiction to God. That's why, and, and maybe I hope some lights start coming on. Because many of you are just trying to overcome addiction by not doing the thing that you were doing. You're trying to overcome an addiction by not having an addiction. But inevitably, you tell me if I'm true, practically speaking, every time you've ever gotten out from under one addiction, all you did was replace it with another addiction. Every single time, right? You replaced one addiction for another addiction. And without Christ, all you do is replace one negative addiction with maybe a less negative addiction or maybe a more negative addiction. But it's all worldly addictions. Because Jesus Christ, God proper, is the only positive addiction. Now, let's go to the text and see if I've just pulled some Stephen Furtick communication moves or if we can prove it. No, I'm just, okay, you like Stephen Furtick, that's fine, okay. <laughs> Not really, we go. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 9, going through verse 15. Let's get into the text and see what we see. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Watch this now. He has, I love this. You guys stood up on your own for the reading and hearing of God's word. Now let me tell everybody else, please stand for the reading and hearing of God's word. Praise the Lord. Let me start over because that was just too good. Verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen, Solomon speaking, I have seen the busyness that God has given, business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11, pay attention here. He has made everything beautiful in its own time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You may be seated. 
May, may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's kind of unpack uh, Ecclesiastes for a moment. And I'm going to try to move through rather quickly because what I want to do is I want to give you a breakdown of the nature of addiction. And then I want to look at how to switch from a negative addiction, practically speaking, to a positive addiction so that the result from the, your addictions are not death, but that they are life. Okay? And can we find this principle in the New Testament as well? And how can it be practically applied to our lives? So is this just me pulling something out of the tech for kind of a um, catchphrase type slogan so that we can have some, oh, that's pretty good moments this morning? Or is this a biblical principle that we can find clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we can really live by and watch some actual positive results happen in our lives? Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. What gain has the worker for his, from his toil? So, you know, what's, you know, God has made us for all this business. What, what, why are we here? What's going on here? I have seen this business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I'm, I've looked at it. I've considered it, he says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, that's a statement right there I think that is going to undergird what's coming next. So he says he's made everything beautiful in its own time. A, a comparative verse would, would, for this would be James chapter 1, verse 17 that says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. That every good and perfect thing, everything that's made is good. Now, you say, well, hold on a second. I know a lot of things that ain't good. I know that I drank some Jim Beam one time and it was awful, right? But what we say is, is that everything that God makes is good. The problem is not that the thing is good or bad, but that the use of the thing is a misuse or a right use, okay? So you think about this. I'm only going to spend just a second on this, and I might blow some of your minds. That's okay. Let's talk later. I'm, going, I'm not going to make the argument today. I'm just going to say it and, and get out because I don't have time. But what I'm going to tell you is, is that sex is wonderful when it's done in its proper place and proper way. Alcohol is not a sin until it's misused. Work is not sinful unless you neglect your family or you cheat people, right? None of these things. Talk, talk about food. Food's wonderful, but eat too much, you get obese, you die from a heart attack. Every good gift comes down from above, right? Some of you might be looking at me sideways because of the alcohol statement. Some of you should never drink alcohol again because you don't know how to handle it. But the Bible says in Psalm 104, 14 that God gave wine to make man's heart glad. I didn't write it. I just read it, right? I, I can't help it that you don't have that freedom. If you don't, don't partake. Do away from it. That's why some of you should be celibate for the rest of your life, right? You can't handle it. And now you would, you, you might, some of you can't handle good food either, right? Let's don't spend any time on that, right? We don't want to talk about that. Gluttony is a real sin. And if you can't manage eating your food like you should eat it, then you need to be on top of that. Just like if you have a sex addiction problem, then you need to guard your computers or your TVs or your whatevers, right? Every good gift comes down from above. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the nature of addiction, I think, here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its own time. Everything's beautiful in its own time, in its own place, in its own way. God gave everything for its own use. It's only when you misuse it. Now, I've got a whole run I could do of how I think that that happens. And what Satan does is he takes the good things that God makes. Since Satan's not a creator. You need to understand that. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's not a creator. God is the creator. But what Satan does is he takes the good things that God has made... And he lures you away to making those good things into ultimate things, which robs you of your vision to be able to see that God is the only ultimate thing. You see, Satan is a deceiver, and all he can do is lure you away by false promises, by hijacking God's good things and making you worship them, which this is all a worship issue. Remember, all addiction is is false worship. It's just idolatry. You are created 24 hour a day, seven days a week worshipers. The question is, what are you worshiping? You're all addicts. What's, what are you addicted to? Okay. He has made everything beautiful in its own time. Also, he has put eternity in the man's heart, yet so that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. What we see is, is that eternity is placed into the heart of man. What does that mean? 
Okay. Now, there's all types of commentaries on this that, that some agree with others and others agree with this. This is what I think that this means. is that God has placed eternity into the heart of man, meaning that we all, are long, we all have an eternal longing, an eternal hole, an eternal cavity that we need to be filled. And this is how God creates us to be 24-7 worshipers because he has placed eternity in your heart. Now, the key is, is that you are by design seeking to fulfill a longing and a purpose in your life. You have a cavity, you have an eternal hole, you have an eternal need in your heart. And what is the, what is the proper feeling and what is the, pro, uh, the proper um, peg that's going to fill that hole? We all know it. Jesus, God. God is eternal. He is the only eternal thing, right? God in and of himself is eternal. He is self-sustaining. God is eternal. He is the only thing that is, e that is eternal, okay? And so God has created you to need him, right? He has created you to work properly and be fulfilled only in him and when we press into God that eternal God fills that eternal hole and we are eternally peaceful do you understand that's how you get eternal peace on your life that frees you up to live your life to its fullest right this is not health wealth and prosperity stuff this is just how human beings work okay now the cool thing about this verse is and as I was studying this this jumped out to me it says here, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its own time. Also, he has, he has put eternity into man's heart. Now, watch this. He has put this eternal cavity, chasm, hole, in man's heart that man would have a longing, an eternal longing for an eternal thing, right? Now, what, what does this mean? Is that the eternal longing is eternal so that it never stops, there is a desire in us that never stops. It can never be quenched. It is, it is continually, everlasting, eternally reaching for, longing for something to fill this cavity. Now, the only thing that can fill this cavity is an eternal God. We just established that. What happens if you try to fill it with that which is non-eternal or temporal, we might say? What happens? You just continually throw stuff in it. The stuff's not eternal. It can't fill it. We just throw more and more. That's why, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but that's why, okay, some of you have been given to alcohol. But every single sin is like this. You can talk about alcohol. You can talk about sleep. You can talk about sex. You can talk about drugs. You can talk about money. You can talk about fame. You can talk about power. You can talk about influence. It doesn't matter. You get a little bit, and you're like, oh, whew, yeah, man, that's good. That's good. I need, my more, I need, I need some more of that, right? But, but you, this is, hey, listen, every crackhead in the room, and there are several in here that were crackheads. I used to smoke crack. I can tell you from personal experience, the first time I ever did it, I was like, woo, right? And then the next time I smoked the same amount, you know what happened? Well, that was a bummer, right? So what I had to do, I had to double the dose. What happened the next time? I had to get another, uh, another bigger dose. I had to get more. I had to get more. Porn's the same way. Alcohol's the same way. Sleep is the same way. Money is the same way. You see, now some of those sins and addictions are easier to hide than others, right? Because the guy or the woman who's addicted to money, well, people look at them and they're like, man, brother's made it, right? He's got three BMWs and a Lexus. Look at this guy, right? We don't look at him and say, oh, poor soul, <laughs> right? But Jesus is the one that said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Do you know how big of a curse money is? You're like, you don't know what you're talking about, man. Ever tried being broke? Thanks. Thanks, Kenzie. I do believe that money is oftentimes a huge curse. It's a huge curse. Why? It's never enough. It's, why do you think there's so many celebrities committing suicide? And lining the rehabs. It's because it's not going to fulfill you. You cannot throw temporal things in an eternal hole and think you're going to be fulfilled. You can't fill that hole. But now watch this. This was key. Now that's easy to see, right? Everybody in here is like, amen, brother. Right? That's easy to see. It's easy to see. Let me show you something else, though. 
You can't throw an eternal God into an eternal hole one time and expect it to be filled forever either. Now, now, what did I just do? I just took out my ninja samurai sword and I sliced and diced. Once saved, always time, blab it, grab it. I got my fire insurance Christians. You say, where did you get that from in that text? I didn't really see that there. Watch it. Watch. Also, he has put eternity into, the, into man's heart. Eternity's there. Needs an eternal fulfillment. Watch this up. Yet, however, but, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You say, well, I don't, I don't get it. God is so good. He's such a good designer. You know what he done went and did? He done made Danielle. He made Titus. He put an eternal hole in there. But he put in stipulations. He made him. He, he's eternal. He made himself avail, fully available. And what he says is. You can get your eternal fulfillment right now. But you'll need to come back in just a moment and get your eternal fulfillment. And you'll need to come back and get your eternal fulfillment. As a matter of fact, you just need to stay here and to get your eternal fulfillment continually, continually. I think God's wise. You know why? Because every one of y'all know that if you could have been one and done, that you would have forgotten about him. Now, you say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I thought you believed in once saved, always saved, Brennan. What I believe is in the perseverance of the saints. Amen. It's lots different. Now you say, you're getting into doctrine, I ain't even into this. Everyone's a theologian. You're just a good one or a bad one, okay? Perseverance of the saints is this, is that when you're truly saved and truly born again, and the power of God has rescued you and trans transferred you from the vein of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, is that the Holy Spirit comes and abides and dwells in you. And he keeps you. And he sustains you. And he draws you back. And when you step out, he brings you back in. When you step out, he brings you back in. When you sin, he tears your tail up, right? When you fall down, he picks you up. When you feel like giving up, he's like, let's press on, right? That God is sustaining you. And that he's drawing you. This is the doctrine of sanctification. And we believe that God is, is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, but that he's moving you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? He's pushing you. He's moving you. You're already justified. You're justified. And if you're truly justified, then you will be sanctified and you will persevere to the end, even through the humps and the bumps and the ups and the downs and the bruises and the, the lumps along the way. But here it is. It says, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has done it in such a way that he is giving you everything that you need for the moment that you need it. Why? So that you remain in a place where you understand your need for him. He gives you, you ever read that? You remember that verse that says that he will not give you uh, more than you can bear? But he will grant for you and give you the strength that would hold you up under it. God gives you everything that you need when you need it and more. And he is never holding back from you. Now, God has placed his eternal hold. We're all addicts. Now, watch this how it works. When we are addicts on anything other than God, it's destructive. And when we are addicts of God, when we are addicted to God, then it's constructive. It builds up. And God leads you to that place where you need more. Now, watch this. Watch this. This is beautiful. And it makes so much sense. When you're addicted to anything in the world, anything, even good things, right, it brings about death. Because you are not being built up, but you're being torn down. You're giving away yourself to these false gods. But when you're addicted to God, you're being built up. You're being constructed. You are being led into more, uh, more productive realms. In everything you do, you succeed. You cannot fall. And even when the world comes against you, you have a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that nothing can come against you because you're just snoozing in the boat when the storm starts rocking it. Right? 
because you have that type of faith. Now, let's move on a little bit. It says here, it says, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So here is that continual, addicted, longing for it every day more and more and more. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Now, this is a lie straight from the pits of hell too. Is that, yeah, that, that, that seems like, yeah, Brandon, okay. This is a technique I use to evangelize too, by the way, especially dope pits. Because they are like, I just want to go feel good. And they, the enemy has convinced them that they're going to have to give up their highs and their feel-goods if they come to God. And I'm trying to convince them that you don't understand. I've been high. I have, I've, I've smoked crack. I've smoked meth. I've snorted coke. I've smoked weed. I've done all of those things. You do not understand that, listen, let's go back to a, a principle I taught earlier. Satan is not a creator. So what does he have to do? He has to take a good thing and manipulate it in order to lure you away from what God's intended purpose is. Now, you might say, Brandon, are you calling crack good? Is coke good? Is no, that's all I'm saying. What I'm saying is pleasure. Now, I've heard preachers preach, you need to deny yourself pleasure. You need to deny yourself pleasure. I don't preach that way. I don't preach that way. You know what I say? I say what I believe the Bible says. And what I say is you need to stop being so easily pleased. You need to stop being so easily pleased. Uh, I used to quote Jonathan Edwards in this realm, and, and uh, he had this quote. I can't remember word for word now. It's been a while, and I didn't look it back up for this sermon. But he has this quote, and I'll just paraphrase. He said, you know, everybody can bring down obligations on top of people and, and make it seem as if they just need to beat their body so that, you know, this Christianity is just a horrible thing, but I'm going to be committed to it. He said, but the enemy's out there enticing them with pleasure. He said, no, no, no. He said, us, let, let us show them the true pleasure and how valuable it is and lure them in with God's true pleasure. Amen. You see, this verse right here tells us, it says, uh, I, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is, the, that is God's gift to man. Whoa, what? Whoa, what? You trying to tell me that God wants me to have abundant pleasure? That God wants me to be fulfilled and be satisfied and happy and excited and joyous and woo? I say, yeah. Listen, okay. What time is it? Quick run, quick run. Now watch this. Now this is, this is the evangelistic method I'd use when I talk to my brothers who are addicted, okay? They don't always work. Because they are, man, they're convinced, right? They're convinced. But it's not just crack kids and addicts, drunks. This is the same. This is in every single realm. You just have to, you just have to tweak it to whatever they're given to, right? So you got, let's, let's, let's take it to a level that you might be ministering to. How many of you have tried to minister the gospel to someone and they say something like this? But I'll lose all the friends that I have. But I won't be able to go out on Saturday nights like I did because, you know, Jesus is a hard taskmaster, and who wants to do all of those rules, right? This is the, this is the common fault, right? It's the lie of the enemy that when you, give, when you give to God, when you go with God, then you're going to lose out on all of the fun. Goodness, it's such a well-thought-out and well-received um, well lie from the enemy. He has done a good job convincing us that... God's just an old codger, right? He's an old stick in the mud. There's nothing fun about him, right? You're going to have to give up all of your fun ways if you're going to go with God, and they just don't know. Okay, so watch. If it's true that Satan is not a creator and he had to steal a good thing, make it into an ultimate thing to rob you of the very best things, then if it's true that, okay, let's say, um, some of you may have been given to alcohol, some of you may have been given to drugs, some of you may have been given to money, some of you may have been given to sex. You, uh, there's, there's, every one of you are addicts. See, I already know that. You're addicts right now. You've always been addicts. You always will be addicts. The only question is, what were you addicted to? What did you love more than God? And it's another way of saying that we're all idolaters, right? We're all worshipers, right? So what was your idol? That's the only question. 
So for me, let's go back because it's a real like black and white, okay? So crack, okay? If, if it's true that the first time you smoke that crack, that, that high, that whew, right? Or the first time you ever had sex outside of marriage, right? It, doesn't the Bible say that sin is good for a season, right? It feels so good, right? That you get high, you get drunk. That first time you got drunk and you just laughed it up, <laughs> you made a stupid fool of yourself, but you didn't even know it, right? Because you were a stupid fool for the moment. And all of your friends are stupid fools too, right? Try being, record yourself one day. If you're a drunk, one day set up a camera and be around sober people while you're drunk, go back and watch it. <laughs> that ain't fun. You realize just how ignorant you look, Right? Because it's foolish. It's a lie of the enemy. So, now watch this though. If it's true that Satan's not a creator and has to rob good things, and we're just talking pleasure now. We're not talking about the specific things because some, people, some things are just inherently evil. Porn is inherently evil. There's no redeeming it. There's nothing good. But the underlying principle, sex, the underlying reality, sex is a very good thing, right? It's wonderful. Like, it's awesome, right? But it's only, it's like a fire. It's only awesome in its proper place. Right? If fire is in the fireplace in the house, right, it's wonderful. You warm your hands by it. It's romantic. It's like, what's up? But then if the fire gets outside of the proper place, it burns the whole house down, right? Same thing with sex. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with money. Same thing with, with, with uh, influence. Same thing with all of it, right? And so if it's true that Satan's not a creator and has to rob these things and pleasure is the underlying thing I'm talking about, and I tell this, I say, listen, if it was that pleasurable on a hint of a piece of the of the thing that Satan stole from God to draw you in with, what if you had the whole kit and caboodle? What if it was that that, so Satan pinched off a piece of pleasure and presented it to you in a crack rock? What if I told you that you just settled for something that was going to kill you and God wants you to have the whole thing? What if it's true that God desires to bring you in and, and let you have this euphoric sense of peace. Because why do people do these things? Why do people uh, con other people out of money because of their love of money? Why do they drink? Why do they do drugs? Why do they spend hours upon hours upon hours away from their family at work? It's because they're trying to escape. They're trying to deal with their turmoil inside. They're trying to get peace. They're trying to get comfort. They're looking for joy, and they'll get it for a moment, possibly. But what happens? It compounds and compounds and compounds, and it eats and it eats and it eats. You have to give up because you are, you are looking for an eternal result for a temporal, from a temporal thing, and all it does is take away from you. Now, I need to move on. I told you I was going to talk to you about the nature. I think I've covered the nature of addiction and the reality surrounding that we're all addicts. And God, and we're going to leave Ecclesiastes, we're going to go somewhere else. And God has, or Solomon has told us about God, that God's placed eternity in the heart of man like that. He set it up in such a way that you're going to have to continually pursue him uh, day after day to remain in this eternal peace and have and actually, the result that he's looking for is to have great pleasure in what? Just your everyday toils. What? Isn't that amazing? That you don't even have to be a rock star Christian. I'm talking about this God is so eternal that when he fills you full, that you, you will just be so happy. You will be crack rock high just going and swinging a hammer every day. Right? You'll be whistling Dixie. And everybody else, right, Josh, where's Josh at? Everybody else on the cruise is like, what's wrong with Josh? Besides, he wears shorts with construction boots, right? <laughs> what in the world is, what is Josh been smoking? And those of you who know this type of fulfillment and love, you already know what I'm talking about, right? Because you have people who know you, who they come to you, and they'll say, I want to know what you got, what, right? They come, and this it goes back, man, how many times have I preached? There is no evangelism like, like blood-bought Christian, uh, just, just crack-pipe-high-Jesus freaks. There's no evangelism system that's like that guy, right? You're just whistling Dixie, right? 
Life is just throwing you all kind of rights and lefts, and it's tearing you up. You're just like, don't bother me, right? And everybody's like, wait, what? What's going on with you? I got Jesus in my life, man. You need to learn about Jesus. Have you ever known him? And you open up the Bible. That's the, that's the evangelism. Because nobody has to pay that guy. Nobody has to force that guy. Nobody has, or that woman, whoever it might be. It's just they're so, they're so jazzed on Jesus juice. Right? Is that what we said, Kenzie? They're so jazzed on Jesus juice that people are coming up to them going, what is wrong with you? And you're like, let me tell you, you know? And, and it's wonderful because it's so genuine. Okay, now let's flip over to, um, let's flip over to, I think, let's go to, let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I had some other stuff fast running out of time, just like every single Sunday. You timing me, baby? You timing me? Hey, shh, don't tell nobody. <laughs> all right, all right. So we've covered kind of the breakdown of how people are created, but we've also dispelled the lie that God wants to lock you into an obligatory um, obedience that, you know, I know you hate me, and I know you know I hate you, but you will do this, child, <laughs> you know? That's, that's the idea that people have of Christianity and, and the God of the Bible, right? Well, that's not at all the, the picture. It is, is that I long to give you your heart's greatest desire. If you would come to me, you would understand that there's nothing else like me, and I will not hold back not even one little bit. And if you don't get all that you want, the only one that's to blame is you because I'm here to unlock heaven's doors and open up the windows of heaven and watch blessing just pour out on you. I am, you know, and we're the ones that stand in our way. The Bible says the one that returns to his sin is like a dog returning to its vomit, right? Is that why do we turn back? Why do we go back when God has opened up the door and he is, he is wanting us to have such fulfillment? Well, okay, so I want to talk now. Let's transition because I think I've established the fact that we are all 24-7 worshipers. God has placed eternity in the heart of man. The question is, how are you trying to fulfill that eternity? How are you trying to make sense of that eternity? Are you throwing all types of temporal stuff in it? You're never satisfied? Listen, you've already tested every theory that I've said, haven't you? Every single one of you, you've already tested these theories. You've tried everything. Well, some of you have tried some things, some of you have tried other things, but you've tried everything that you could possibly imagine. And some of you have gotten more fulfillment than others. Some of you have never been fulfilled and you just can't understand it. Well, I want to talk to you about how to transition your addiction. Well, that's pretty good. I just came up with that. So, managing your addictions, transitioning from one addiction to a better addiction. Is that right? Is that biblical? What is this guy talking about? Well, let's take a look and see. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to read this, uh, read this right here, and then we're going to talk about how to transition addiction to addiction. Verse 15. Watch this now. This is really cool stuff right here. And you might have read this, and you thought, that is theologically just over my head. But let's read it very, very practically, okay? With the foundational information that I just gave you, all right? Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Do you see it? Do you see it? Does that make sense? This is yes. This is no. This is I don't know. <laughs> All right, let me read that really slowly one more time. Now watch this. Now remember what I said, that if eternity is in the heart of man and we have an eternal purpose that needs an eternal fulfillment, what happens is when we start throwing in temporal things, right, and we're trying to get our fulfillment out of temporal things, whether it be money, cars, drugs, whatever, that it only compounds the problem because 
uh, you know, at first we're kind of satisfied with a little bit, but then we need more, and then we need more, and then we need more. And what happens is that this is this, is this text coming to life. Watch what it says. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as once you presented yourselves, your members, as slaves to impurity, that's that addiction, that's that slavery, that's that 24-7 worship. You, you are hooked on it. You have to have it. You, you're obedient. You're a slave to it. Just as at one time you were addicted to the things of the world, the, the impure things, and to lawlessness. Now, what did that lead to? What did your addiction to the things of the world lead to? Well, it says it right here. It says uh, you were slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to what? More lawlessness. Because it wouldn't fill it, and so you needed to throw more in. It wouldn't fill it, so you needed to throw more in. So your lawlessness compounded lawlessness, compounded lawlessness. And your world started spinning out of control, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Now, is it that we just need to do away with that whole system? Or is it that we need to properly understand how God set the system up and work within the confines of what God said would be the best way for the system to work? And we don't need to do away with addictions, but we need to transition addictions to the proper addiction so that it would lead the other way. If the improper addiction leads to death, hell, and destruction, then could it be that we don't need to do away with addictions, but we need a proper addiction that would lead to righteousness, holiness, and eternal union with God and I believe that's what it teaches I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as once presented for for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness which leads to sanctification and what is sanctification sanctification is being set apart and sanctified to be purified for the Lord. So really this could read as uh, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to more righteousness. But sanctification is just the idea of righteousness in an ongoing progressive sense. So it's righteousness compounded. Does that make sense? So because sanctification is the, is the becoming sanctified, which is the becoming righteous. So Addiction to the things of the world compounds addiction and pain. Addiction to the things of God compounds righteousness and sanctification. Do you, does that make sense? The problem is not your, that you're addicted. The problem is that you're addicted to the wrong thing. Is this making sense? Now, watch this. Let's get real practical here for a moment. I could keep on going there, but I, I want to turn. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Okay, we're going to look at, um, let's see, what's Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Let's read this real quick, and then I want to show you one thing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It's the same principles, but it's a little more straightforward, a little more practical. I want you to watch this. But I say, now watch what he does here. This is Paul teaching again. He's, he wrote Romans. He's writing Galatians. He's teaching the Galatian church about not being given to sin and not being given to these things of the world. Now, watch what he does here. This is the same thing. Basically, if we put it in the terms that we just outlined, Paul is teaching them how to not be addicted to the world and how to be addicted to God. Okay? Same thing, different terms used. Same thing. How not to worship the world, how not to be idolaters, and how to worship the one true God and the results of which. Now, have you seen the theme running? My theme has been is that we're all addicts. We're all worshipers 24-7. The question is not whether we are addicts or worshipers. The question is what we are addicted to and what we are worshiping. And then the, the results of each are very telling. So when we're addicted to the things of the world, it seems to grow, right, and expand, and more and more lawlessness if we're addicted to the world. And uh, Romans chapter 6, and I think Ecclesiastes chapter 3 seem to suggest, this is going to do it really clearly, but seem to suggest that when you, when you uh, transition to the right addiction, that it brings about 
justification, sanctification, righteousness, and it compounds out. That's how we grow in maturity. All this is is immaturity over here and maturity over here. Go read Ephesians chapter 2, right? The purpose of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What? For the equipment of the church? So what? It would grow its own self up in love and reach full maturity. This is what it's talking about, this, this growth, this, this overarching. And the only way it happens is to continually pursue God every day, and you'll get more and more and more mature. Now, watch what Galatians chapter 5 says. Super, super practical right here. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hey, you see it? If you, it, It's simple. It sounds simple. I know it's harder to do, but it's, it's simple, actually. It's a really, really simple truth. That if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You know why? Because you can't serve two masters. And, and it's, it, the opposite is true. Watch. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Right? And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. These are opposed to one another. You can't do them both at the same time. There is no, you know the proverbial fence? He's straddling the fence. There is no fence. There is no fence. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. You're an enemy of the cross or you're a warrior of the cross. There is no fence. There is no fence. Jesus said in uh, Revelation, he said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. There is no fence. If you're not pursuing after God, you're pursuing after the world. Why? Because you are continual worshipers. You're addicts. You're addicted. You will get your fix. And if it's not on Christ, then it will be something of the world. That's just the way it works. I promise. But there's good news. If you're getting your fix on Christ, then you won't get it in the world. This isn't rocket science. I'm not saying it's easy all the time, but it's not rocket science. You see, we're all focused on, well, we're addicted to the world. So... We're outside of Christ, the peace of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that people who struggle with addictions aren't Christians, but I will say they have no assurance. The Bible continually tells us that he who is persevering in the faith and the things of God has assurance. Justification, sanctification, and assurance are all different doctrines. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I also believe in justification. And once you're justified, then you can't be unjustified. You didn't justify yourself. You can't unjustify yourself. That's in Christ, in Christ alone, right? He does the work of salvation. He decides, right? God is sovereign over all creation. But we do know that those who are assured are only the ones who are continually and actively presently right now living for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to say if you've slipped and fallen that you're not saved. That's just saying that you need to jump your tail up and get on back to the Lord Jesus Christ because you ain't got no proof, right? You don't, I, you know, we look at ourselves, Paul says examine yourself whether or not we be in the faith. How do we know whether we be in the faith? Whether or not we have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. We know these things. This is the, this, it's not the fruit of your will. It's not the fruit of what you're doing. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is abiding in you, then this will be what your life looks like. If this isn't what your life looks like, then you need to be afraid. Paul says, fear lest you, he said, we need to be afraid. Okay, so, but watch, the, the, the beautiful thing is this. It's not only true that when you're given to the world, you're taken out of Christ. It's also true that when you're given to Christ, you're taken out of the world. You see both sides again. So this is good news for us. It's really good news. And it's really good news for those of you who really struggle with addictions to worldly things. Because now, I, I'm, I'm not against programs. I'm not against rehabs. I, I send guys to rehabs. I have connection with some rehabs. But here's the main goal, I think, main thing that I think would be great about a rehab. This is what I look for in a rehab. I look, I look for this in a rehab. I look for a, a program that's long enough to break habits and has the content of that which will actually be significant enough truth to break the habits and replace the habits. So before I even figured out how to word this to you today. This has been my theology all along. I understand that we're all addicts. 
We're all 24-7 worshipers. The question is not, are we? The question is, what are we given to? And I also understand the principle in my own life here. It's not to say I always apply it. But I understand the principle as well that if we are doing the things of God and pursuing after God and we're being fulfilled in God, then we won't be fulfilled by the world. Those two are opposed to one another. They cannot live in the same place at the same time. You're either for God or against God. And by necessity, what that means is, is that if you walk out these doors today and you choose to enter into a sin, then that same choice. Now, listen to me very carefully here. This is true for me, too. That same choice to enter into that sinful fleshly activity, that same choice is a choice to, to exit the presence of God and righteous activity. You can't, it's not just, well, I'm going to sin a little while today, but I'm still over here. We good, Jesus. It doesn't work that way. To choose sin is to not choose Jesus. But vice versa, to choose Christ, to choose Jesus, is to not choose sin. This goes all the way back to, you want to know how to overcome sin? Stop trying to fight against your sin. Wait, what? You want to know how to overcome sin? I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now how to overcome sin in your life. Repentance 101. The way that you overcome sin is to not fight against sin. Okay? That's not how you do it. The way that you overcome sin is to turn to Christ. Christ has already overcome sin. You, you think you can overcome sin? You can't. That's not your fight. That's not, if you could have overcome sin, then why did Christ pour himself out on the cross? Jesus is the one who overcomes sin. Jesus is the, lambless, uh, the, the sinless lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is the one who lived a perfectly obedient life in your place so that you might live. Jesus Christ is the one who defeated sin, death, hell, and Satan. And if repentance is a 180-degree turn away from sin, the only way that you can turn away from sin is by turning to Christ. So you see that we do not overcome sin by warring with sin. John tells us it's not by the will of the flesh nor the blood of, of ours, but it is through Christ. We don't overcome sin by fighting with sin. We overcome sin by turning to Jesus. You see the connection? We don't overcome addiction by willing and gritting and determining to overcome addiction, we overcome addiction to the world by becoming addicted to Christ. We overcome choosing sin by choosing Christ. Now, the last part of this, and you guys can start to make your way this way, what does that look like? Well, <clears throat> I did a little study and research on this. Now, how many of you have heard the idea, the, the teaching that it takes 21 days to make a new habit, to form a new habit, okay? Now, that has been supposedly been debunked. I don't know if you knew that part of it, but there was a, a scientist, a psychologist. Actually, he was a, um, he was a plastic surgeon. He was, he was a doctor, though, and he did this study. His name was Maxwell Maltz, okay? Really interesting stuff. He did this study back around 1960 or so, a little before that he published this in 1960. And he was a plastic surgeon. And, and what he found was, after examining his patients and keeping records in his own life, he found that it, was, it took a minimum of 21 days for a new habit to be established in one's life. And the way that he was looking at it was, is that if someone had to have, if they were in an accident and he, he was a plastic surgeon, if they had to have an arm removed, or if they had a nose job, or whatever it was that he did to them, normally it took a minimum of 21 days for them to accept the newness of their situation, whether it be not having a limb or accepting their new face, to establish a new routine and have the new reality become part of their habitual routine, it was a minimum of 21 days. Now, later studies seem to suggest that 21 days wasn't long enough. But what they missed in Maltz's study was that it was a minimum of 21 days. He found, even in his work, that sometimes it took longer than that. Well, there was another study done by 
Philippa Lally, and she is at the University College of London, and she had a pretty big study, 96 people over a 12-week period, and each person chose one new habit for the 12 weeks, and they reported each day on whether or not they did the behavior and how automatic the behavior felt, okay? So they kept records for 12, 12 weeks straight, and it could have been stuff they say here, it could have been stuff like drinking a bottle of water during lunch or something a little more difficult, uh, like running for 15 minutes before dinner every, every time before you ate, something like that. But it followed 96 people, 12-week study, and this was the finding. On average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. As a matter of fact, the average, and it's still, it, so Maltz's study actually proved to be true because some experience change 20 to 21 to 22 days, which is the minimum. But her study showed that an average of 66 days to change a habit and change behavior, and some took up to about 254 days to change the habit. Now, we could go and start talking about New Year's resolutions and gyms and things like that, and you, you usually hear these conversations around those times, okay? But here's, here's, here's the deal, okay? If we look back at uh, Galatians chapter 6, we find some of these things as reality. Now, some things I mean and some things I don't mean. What I don't mean is, is that you can schedule the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you already know my theology. You already know I don't believe that. You already know that I believe that God has to move on a man, has to move on a woman to bring about new birth and the Holy Spirit to indwell inside of them, okay? Let me talk to you for a moment. And if, you, if you've never been saved and you feel the Lord call upon your life today and you want to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you can be born again today, I promise you, okay? For the Christians in the room, that's been born again and you're battling with this idea of addiction and you keep going back to this other sin you keep going back to this thing might I suggest a very practical step for you what if it was that you asked God to give you that fruit of the Holy Spirit that was self-controlled for as long as it took to establish the routine that would bring about righteousness and sanctification in your life instead of death peril and sadness if the Bible says and it does in Galatians chapter 6 Watch what it says. Skip over to uh, 6, chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all things good with the one who teaches. Do, my, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Watch. For the Lord, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you set your mind and your body and your schedule to doing the things of God and you sow and you work and you plant for the Spirit, what's going to be the result, people of God? Then you will reap eternal life. It will be good. You will have peace in the times of storms. And I'm talking about very practical things here. I'm talking about very practical things. Some of you are given to drunkenness, and I'm telling you, you know what would help you to overcome drunkenness? Is that if you just replaced it with an addiction, that would be much better. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. What I'm saying is, is that it will be worth it. Set your mind and your calendar and your reminders on your phone and your clock to wake you up a little early to get in God's Word every single day. Switch your country music or your rock music to some good worship music. Switch your times of Netflix, at least part of the time, to prayer time and spend 20 or 30 minutes in prayer. Ask God to change your desires. All I'm telling you is, is that this isn't rocket science. If you would just replace the things of the world with the things of God, you would see tremendous results in your life. I promise you. I promise, this isn't rocket science. It's clear as the nose on my face, right? He says here, he says, uh, and, and what is the advice right after he says, look, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap con uh, corruption. Very practical. Paul says, if you want to have it that way, you're going to have it that way. If you sow to the flesh, if you just do whatever you want to do all the time and your flesh wants to do, then you're going to reap corruption. Sorry about that. That's the way God made you. But if you will sow to the Spirit, if you'll walk in the Spirit, as he said in Galatians chapter 5, then you won't do the things of the flesh. And you'll reap eternal life. It'll be wonderful. 
It's not always tough. We have to war against the flesh. Paul said, I beat my body and I'm making my slave. So after having preached the gospel, I won't fall short of it myself. What does he say right after that? He goes on to say, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How, how parallel to that is, is, is that to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Isn't it? Isn't it? He said, God placed eternity in the, heart of man, in the heart of man. He says, all things have been made beautiful in their time. You know, sometimes it doesn't look beautiful to, to sit our whole family down of, of ridiculously crazy kids and try to wrangle them around the kitchen table and to do a devo. It doesn't look very beautiful, you know. But in due time, you'll see that you will reap eternal life. When sowing to the Spirit. Set your minds on God today. What if we all in this place. Let's all stand to our feet. What if we all. What if we all in this place today said. You know what. That's very interesting. I've never really thought about it like that. And I've been given to drink. I've been given to laziness. I've been given to porn. I've been given to all these things. And I've just never been able to figure out how to overcome it i'm gonna try this i'm a born again believer i really do believe i am i love the lord but boy this sin sure does got a hold on me i'm gonna try what my preacher said as practically as that sounds that's not too big of a deal i'm gonna start today 18 days to 254 days i'm gonna give it up to 254 days I'm going to decide to, and if you, and this study is a little bit more in depth than this. I read this study also shows that it, it's not that big of a deal if you fall down from time to time. Now, if you break the habit, yeah, it can be. But what I found is I, I started going to the gym regularly a while back, and I, I really got to where I enjoy it. And I had this whole, whole rest of this sermon that I didn't even preach. One part of the scriptural teaching is, is that when you start seeing results from sowing to the Spirit, it actually pushes you and compels you to sow more right because you see it's kind of like losing weight when you've lost five pounds you're like all right i can do this you lost 10 pounds you're like whoa man right you go to the gym john you go to the gym sometimes right you go to the gym you're benching and you're weak as rainwater, right not that you are but then you you you're able to put on five more pounds you're like what's up man i'm beast mode right you go back to the gym the next day, you're like, I want to see if I can get seven and a halfs, right? I want to see if I can get tens. Me and my son have been working out. He's been working out with me. He gained 50 pounds on his bench in two months. You know what? He's wanting to go to the gym more now. Praise the Lord, right? It's, hey, listen, those little practical truths like that are so true in your spiritual life. Man, when you start getting into the Word... And one of your children come up to you and they need some advice and you can lay out some Hebrews chapter 10 on them. You walk away from, listen, you walk away from that conversation and get on with your bad self, right? And you, you're like, man, I might be becoming a man of God. Praise the Lord, right? I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm doing good in this parenting thing. I'm not raising hellions, right? <laughs> Woohoo, right? Push toward the Lord. Push toward the things of God. Schedule the things of God. Man, I needed to hear that message today. But you go ahead. I promise you. You go ahead and you make a commitment. 18 to 254 days. The average is 66 days. Make a 66-day commitment to pray every single day. At some point. And I mean, put it in the calendar on your phone. Put it in your calendar. And just come back to me. Tell me how that worked for you. If the Bible's true, when you sow to the Spirit like that, you're going to reap some good life. You're going to reap some good life. Do business with God. Maybe you need to repent this morning. Maybe you need to get saved because you ain't even got a clue what I've been talking about the whole time, right? If you do, come talk to me. Let's get you saved. Let's, uh, let's, let's let you do business with God so that you're done born again, right? And then we can do life together, and you can know what fulfillment's really, really, really like. So glad to have you guys today. Put that in your heart and let the Lord work on you. Thank you, guys. Love y'all. Do business with God. Come and respond.